You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Eric Barton. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Good morning. Hey, uh, my name is Mike Hall. I'm an associate pastor here at Bethel. I'm uh, married to Heather. I've got four kids uh, over there. They, they make through all the chairs to try to sit at the other side of the, of the service. And, and I, wanna, I just want to lead off by, by making a confession. Um, ever since I was uh, a kid at six years old, all the way up to even last week, every time I walk into a bank... I try to figure out how to rob it. <laughs> like I, I walk in and, and first I see if there's a security guard. I go, how do I disarm him? Where are the cameras? And my getaway car, I already know where that's going to be. I know what mask I'd wear, what I'd say to the, t- the whole bit. I've cased the joint. And now that we have been in Galatians and we're talking about the freedom to do whatever we want to do, I'm thinking it's Sunday. The banks are closed. <laughs> if anyone's, but really, I, this... Uh, this freedom talk has got me thinking, um, and I've had a lot of fun with it. Um, so, in fact, Eric obviously is not here. Um, he is in Egypt this week, a long drive. And what, we've, uh, what we do is if there's this Dropbox folder, and so anyone who's teaching at Bethel uh, is invited to this Dropbox folder. And what you end up doing is uh, if you find a, a good illustration or maybe you find some obscure theologian that nobody has listened to their podcast so you could steal material and people wouldn't know it, you, you upload all that stuff into the Dropbox folder. And, um, and that way you can share resources. And then as the week goes on, you actually write your sermon, you put that in the Dropbox folder uh, so that other people uh, can do two things. One, you've got other pastors and people looking at that to make sure, hey, that seems heretical. You might not want to say that. Um, But also, ooh, that's good. I'm going to steal that. And and so you put it up and so you build this sermon in uh, uh, kind of in community. Well, being that we're talking about freedom, I get this, this great idea. On Tuesday... I upload something to this Dropbox folder, and the title of it is Mike's Sermon hyphen final version, which Tuesday it's early to put that in, but, but I, I go ahead and put it in. Well, what happens is, is everyone invited to this Dropbox folder, either they get an email immediately, and if they have notifications set on their phone, it goes bloop, and oh, something happens. So I know that Eric's getting on a plane ride at 9 o'clock at night. So at 8 o'clock, I fire this off and I upload it in the folder. And, and here's what it says. It, it, the whole thing is, looks like a full sermon. Uh, you know, scripture, Galatians chapter 5, 1 through 15. Main topic, colon, we are free in Christ to do anything, dot, 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 really we are. And then Norman Room 1, introduction. Jeff does announcements. He prays. Everyone looks up. Number two, Mike is on stage not wearing his shirt. Number three, Mike feels free to talk about how we are really free to do anything and moves on and on. It goes on. So I upload this knowing that Eric's about to get on a plane, delighted in myself. And within about 10 seconds, I get a message from Mark Kirkendall from White House. 
Oh my gosh. For the love of all that is good, please tell me you're not joking. You know, so. <laughs> but I've already made the commitment not to answer the phone when Eric calls. <laughs> so he's got 13 hours. Him and Ross are on a plane ride going, what do we do? How do we, do we fire him immediately? How do we, this is horrible. So, so, you know, obviously, I still have my shirt on. You're welcome. But it does get you thinking here. What, what is this freedom in Christ? And, and it actually brings up some, some questions. I, I mean, if you're like me, you're going, okay, if you're really free, where does this obedience thing come into play? If we were doing what we want, wouldn't it cause just complete chaos? Uh, is there a balance between grace and freedom and, and the law and works? Do we need to emphasize one more than the other? And then what does freedom even mean? How are we defining that? What are we free from? What are we free to? I, when I was in high school, I, I wanted to go to Baylor. In my junior year, I got, uh, I got an acceptance letter. So my senior year, I took classes like office aid, and, and I made D's in them because I was already accepted. I, in the same way, before I got married, I worked out in the gym. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> but now I fully know my wife has accepted me. There is no reason for me to work out. At all. What is it? The love of learning? Sure, right. Health and... No. And what do we mean by freedom? My daughter did a little school play where they wave the American flag and sing songs. Is that the freedom? The freedom to free speech? Right to bear arms? That's surely not the freedom that Christ is talking about. Well, here's what's fun is this morning... The scripture we're going to go through dictates that we get to tackle these issues. And to, to start off, we, we look at verse 1, but nowhere it is contextually. Um, uh, in fact, a lot of, of translators put verse 1, if, when they put the titles in your scripture, some, your Bible might have this, where the title of verse 4, uh, or the title of chapter 4, verse 1 of chapter 5 is still underneath of that, and then the titles of chapter 5 actually start with verse 2. So there's a continuation on from what we said and in, in, in what we, spoke, what we teach, taught on last week in chapter 4. So just to, to quickly summarize it, if we remember last week that we can either be about being saved by grace, not by works on your own accord, um, or you can decide to follow the law and have the condemnation of the law. You can't ride the fence. It's one or the other. You've got to choose and pick. So, so that's where we came from last week in chapter 4, and then we start here in chapter 5. Let me read. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Christ set us free from something to something. Uh, Jesus set us free from the thinking that we must keep the law in order to win his favor. He, he has freed us from the thinking that we have done one sin too many. He frees us from the thinking that we've committed a sin so big that it is, you know, that we can't be righteous for Jesus. And the freedom isn't just from something, it's to something. We have the freedom now to have life, to have peace, to 
have joy. Okay, so what are we to do? Well, Paul tells us both in the affirmative and the negative. First, he says in the positive, stand firm. This, uh, this verb, stand firm, is the same verb used in the Greek uh, Olympics for the tug of war. And that when you were doing the tug of war, you would actually dig one of those uh, little ditches so you could put your feet in them and hold on to the rope, and the rope would be pulling you, and you would be using all of your strength in order to stand firm, in order to go nowhere. It was actually a lot of work to, to, to do that. Just like now, it's a lot of work in order to not be under the thinking that we have to do something to earn favor with God. In fact, there's some members this morning of Bethel who woke up and they went, oh, I've got to go to church. And they had this feeling out of duty and obligation that they ought to go. And there were some brave people this morning who stayed home. Because they knew that watching another rerun of Chip and Joanna with a second cup of coffee, instead of coming here this morning, it, it, it's not going to win them one iota, one glance of favor in God's eyes. Now, I'm seeing right now some of the elders are going, hey, look, just because Eric's not here, you don't need to take down the whole ship, right? <laughs> hold, hold on to that, because Paul does come back and address it. But if we don't first fully get, hey, it's not about doing anything, well, well then we're going to miss the next part. I mean, I, you're free. You're, you're really free. You're free to go to heaven. And on one hand, you might think, hey, is that arrogant to talk that way? No. Why? Because you didn't do anything to do it. That's why scripture tells us to boast in him, not in ourselves, because we haven't done anything. And then we've got the negative piece, the way Paul talks about it. Do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Again, that you've been burdened before. It's the picture of the prisoner who's been in jail and the gates are open and he walks out and he looks down and he sees the open door to freedom with the fresh air to be able to do what he wants. But he goes across the hall instead and gets back into another prison cell. It's empty and it's burdenful some. That's the, the, the freedom that Christ has is freedom to something good. It's the peace and the joy. It's not, Janice sings it wrong. Freedom is not another word for having nothing left to lose. No, that, that's saying that freedom is hitting rock bottom and that's the path to destruction and the 27 club and, and unhappiness. No, freedom isn't another word for having nothing left to lose. It's a word for having everything to gain. It's a word that means we have something. It's the peace and the joy, and not just the joy that you muster on a smile on your face, the joy that you can't help yourself but to glow because you're free. That's the real freedom. But Paul goes on, verse 2, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Okay, so circumcision here 
is talking about two things. It's talking about uh, literal circumcision, but it's also, uh, Paul's talking about circumcision sort of at large of anything that you would add to grace. The reason we know this is because he says again, and we know that you can't be circumcised twice. It's not a gecko tail there, right? It's a one-time deal. This is why they ask me only once a year to preach. <laughs> to go with the, the theme from last week and quoting the three amigos, Steve Martin, but just as sure as my name is Lucky Day, the people of Santa Poco can conquer their own personal El Guapo, who happens to be the real El Guapo. It's the same part, that, that although the Church of Galatia has circumcision, they're adding uh, circumcision at large happens to be their circumcision is circumcision. I'm sure that wasn't clear. <laughs> so are you seeing the consequence of not completely living by grace, that Christ will be of no advantage to you? If you decide to dabble just a bit in the law, with your theology, you're nullifying what Christ did on the cross. If you take the law, you have to take it all. It's jumping into a college class and getting the syllabus and going, ah, I'm just going to take three of the ten tests and I don't do pop quizzes. It doesn't work that way. you got to take the whole class. And this class, though... Uh, this is like my nine-year-old taking differential equations. It's an impossible class for him to pass. There's no chance for success, but that's where Jesus took the class and gave us his grade. Uh, before we move on here, we, we have to talk about one other piece of, of this part of Scripture, verse 4, because there's a phrase here that's oftentimes taken out of context uh, and misinterpreted. The phrase, fallen away from grace. So we know at this point the church had not yet been circumcised. We know it's like this, that there's two roads. And the term falling away from grace is saying that you are on the road that leads that way. He's, Paul's not saying that being fallen from grace means that you can lose your salvation because just, because just as in the same way we cannot do anything to earn our salvation, we can't do anything to unearn it either. It's all over scripture. So what Paul is saying is that this is the path. It's as if uh, there's a bunch of Galatian men and they're all in a line. And at the end of the line, they're sharpening their knives. And they've just heard two messages. One message is that you are saved by grace through Jesus Christ alone. And the other message is you are saved by Jesus Christ and some works. And if you're in the line to be saved by Jesus through Christ alone and you remove yourself to get in this line where you have to add something to the gospel, that is the road that leads to being fallen from grace. Verse five, for through the spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. It is by faith that we have hope. And hope here, this is a, this is a word that we miss a, a lot, the, the meaning of this word. 
In fact, if you get this right, the way you'll read a whole lot of the New Testament might be different because this is, this is really cool. When we hear the word hope, we think of that as an uncertainty. So you might be thinking right now, I hope Mike will finish this sermon in the next 10 minutes. But you have no idea. It's uncertainty. This hope is something that you can be certain of. The hope of the New Testament, the hope translated from the Greek, is something that you know will happen. So when you eagerly wait the hope of righteousness, you know that that's coming your way. It's a, it's a great nuance that we need to know. So what are we hoping for? What are we expecting? To be righteous. And that this is something that is imparted on us. At the end of time, at judgment, when we stand before the Father, we can have the hope, the certainty, that we can stand righteous. And here on this earth, at this time, we can have the hope that God who has began the work in us begins making us righteous, that, that he takes our heart and our desire and our mind and our will and he begins to conform it to look like his. And here's where, so what does that produce? Paul goes on to clarify in verse six, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You've got a crowd of people here, and some are going, circumcision, circumcision. The ones over here are going, not circumcision, not circumcision. And Paul goes, hey, I've got a word for both of you. Shut up already. Because the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Expressing itself through love. That sounds like works. So how is that any different than my junior year in high school where I can give up and take office aid classes. The difference is because this right here is, is your faith that God changes you. And so you're not having to act a certain way. You get to just be, be yourself as yourself changes. It's nothing that you're doing. So when it comes to, to faith and works or grace and law, we're, we're not looking for, for balance. It's not that we want to, hey, let's talk about freedom, but oh, it might be too much. Let's put a little bit of works in there. Even in our accountability groups, and I've led these accountability groups, we're doing it wrong. Or sometimes we are. But when we come to the accountability groups and we lead with, hey, did you look at that on the computer this week? Did you read your Bible? Did you get up 30 minutes before work and pray? What we're doing, checklists. The tail's wagging the dog there. Instead, when we have our accountability groups, what we should be saying is, hey, are you remembering this week that you're a child of God? Do you have faith in him? Do you know that you can rest? And of course, sure, you're doing some of these things. You're reading your Bible because you love him and because God's changing your heart to want to do those things. Oh, it's how we discipline our kids. Is it how we sin managing them or are we talking to their hearts? It is not just a matter of emphasis. It's not that Paul is emphasizing grace and the Judaizers are emphasizing works. It's the relationship between the two. And, it, and that means everything. Otherwise, you're a, a Christian poser, so to speak. And if you've tasted this before, if you've tasted this, uh, 
freedom and this burden, you're in good company of the church of Galatia. In fact, you're in the good company with me as well. Uh, let me be honest. So, a week ago, Eric calls. Hey, Mike, you want to preach on Sunday? I said, sure, I'd love to. That sounds like fun. And so I, I read the text several times, and then I start reading some of the commentaries. I listen to some podcasts of Keller and Piper, and, and then Mark's sermon comes through in Dropbox, and I'm reading all of this, and I go, oh, my gosh. I can't do this. This is, this is hard. And then I go to Discover Bethel where new people come and they learn about the church, and I leave the entire section out about the church. Kind of a key part of Discover Bethel. So if you were one of those that went there, you still can come, but there is an asterisk by your name, just so you know. And I'm coming home just going, oh, I stink at this. Well, then Thursday, I, I wake up and I start reading the text again, and I go, huh, is yoke as easy as burden is light? Sure doesn't feel that way. I'm doing something wrong. At the end of the day, I could get up here and and it might look exactly the same. But but I was preparing and teaching so that so that I would please myself, so that I might please God, so you, that you would come up and go, "Hey, great job, Mike!" And I'd say something maybe spiritual, like, "Oh, it's all in the Lord's will," or something like that. I, I wouldn't say that because that's stupid, but I, you know, I, I could say something sort of nice to you up front, and inside I'd be going, yeah, "I'm pretty awesome." Yeah, I, I miss it. So Thursday, I, I get this and I confess it, and I I go to Starbucks where they have a subpar cup of coffee compared to the foundry. And I get to work on the sermon with Jesus and rest as a child of God, of someone who, knowing that God loves me and that what I do this morning doesn't matter in a sense, that God's going to do what God does. And I get to be a part of it. And what a joy that is. It makes all the difference. It's how you do life. It's this freedom where, where his yoke is light and his burden is easy. At Discover Bethel, the good thing that did happen is a lot of our ministry leaders got to come up here and talk about what they do and you could see just this joy on their face and this lightness that there's uh, several dozen kids downstairs this morning coloring stuff to put on the walls and that they were going, I looked at it going, this is chaos and they were going, oh, this is so much fun. And it brings them real joy to get to do that. C.S. Lewis, kind of at the end of mere Christianity, and speaking of works, he says this. He said, a world of nice people, looking no further than that, would be just as desperately in need of salvation than a miserable world and would be more difficult to save. For mere improvement is not redemption, though in the end... Redemption will improve you to a degree that you wouldn't even imagine. Verse 7, Paul goes on, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Uh, some versions use the word, who cut you off? I love this word picture, this race that Paul uses, um, especially knowing in the times of the Olympics, because the Olympics are great, because that's when all of the made-up sports get to be played. Um, 
the Winter Olympics, the curling with the where you sweep the ice with the hockey puck, and then all of the stuff where a bunch of stoned college kids be like, oh, I bet I can do a triple X loop, and somehow that becomes an Olympic sport. But the the made-up sport of the summer games that I like is the steeplechase. And I, you might, some of you might not even know what the steeplechase is. It's a regular track and field race. It's 1.8 miles or 3,000 meters. But somebody, who I would say was wise, said that's kind of boring. So they put up a giant hurdle, um, not individual hurdles, but one hurdle, because then they got rid of all the, the lanes. Put up a hurdle, and they said that's still not good enough. So then they made a moat on the other side of the hurdle. So you jump over the hurdle into water. If you watch it, YouTube it, and it's on still now on the Olympics, you'll think every track and field should have a water element uh, to it because it, it is great. Well, in this, as you're, they're jumping over the hurdle into the moat of water, that's when people are making their moves and they're getting cut off. There's no lanes and it's chaos and it makes track and field fun to watch. You have your eyes focused on Jesus, on the cross. You're living for freedom, loving God, doing as you please. And then out of nowhere, as you're going over the hurdle into two feet of water, that's when you get cut off. And when does it happen to you? Is it when you walk into church on a Sunday morning? Is it when you're with a certain group of friends or your family? Maybe it's that mom group. Maybe it's when you're trying to prepare for a sermon for the downtown campus. And you get cut off and you lose your focus. And who does it? Well, it's verse 8. That kind of persuasion does not come from him who calls you. It's not from God. It's how our enemy wants to attack us, our enemy who wants to kill us and your wife and your kids. And the way he does it is a slow drip of poison that if you're not standing firm, you might not even notice it. But it will destroy your entire foundation. Paul goes on and says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord you will take no other view, but the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. It, it does not take much perversion to throw you off track, to stand firm. I love the hymn that we sing sometimes, in Christ alone, the, the part that comes to my mind, when heights of love, when depth of peace, when fears are stilled, when strivings cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. It's in Christ alone. You can't add circumcision. You can't add your good theology. You can't add anything. And then why is Paul being persecuted, as he says, well, because people like hearing that they can make it into heaven. That preaches kind of well. But what people don't like to hear why Paul is being persecuted is that there's only one way to get to heaven, and that's by bowing down at the foot of the cross. And that's it. That you can't do anything on your own. If you want to build a, a really big church, th then you need to start saying things like, hey, Tough times will pass, but tough people won't. Because that's what people want to hear. But the problem is that that's not the gospel. 
So in the context of circumcision, with a knife, Paul continues in verse 12. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Or some translations say, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. <laughs> you didn't like Paul before. And on one sense, from, from someone who, who loves to laugh, I feel like the stars have aligned that I get to be here at this time and talk about this. And Paul just sort of went, hello? <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm not, okay, I will go there a little bit. But really, do you feel the frustration there? It's this pastoral zeal that people are, are saying a false gospel. They're adding something to the gospel. And what Paul could say is, I wish they would just leave my church. I wish that they would go somewhere else. I wish they'd even start another denomination. I wish they'd even die. No, I wish they'd whoosh, cut it off. And in all fairness, at the same time, there is, a, there is a, a, another sect, not a sect, it's a, a, a cult, a, a false pagan religion there. And once a year there was a festival, and if you wanted to be a priest of this false pagan, you would actually become a eunuch. You would cut it off to become a priest, to be that dedicated to this false religion. So there's a piece that Paul is, one, has lots of zeal in this to say this could be the end game. But also, look, if you're going to dabble in circumcision, if you're going to dabble in the law, just go ahead and be an all-out pagan. Because that, that's where you are. And here's the thing. Paul is not telling us to physically mutilate those that are, are adding to the gospel. However... The, the bar is pretty high as to how we are to treat this and how we are to think about it. In our culture, typically with other churches that are kind of Christian-ish, we go, that's fine, that's your deal, and we do our thing, you're doing their thing. But it's all over in East Texas, and, it, and it's perverting the truth of the gospel, and it's dangerous. Just this last week, I went by a, a church with a marquee that said something like, a Bible verse a day keeps Satan at bay. Yes, it rhymes, <laughs> but it's not true. That's not what keeps Satan at bay is by reading your Bible. It's the righteousness of God that can happen with your faith because of what Jesus has done. So what now? Uh, Paul gives us some specific examples, some implications. First, claim your freedom. When you leave this world, if you put your faith in Jesus, then you will have a right standing with the Father. And in this world, if you put your faith in Jesus, you will have a right standing with your Father. And only by doing that, which is where you find life and peace and joy. And in your freedom here on earth, use it to love. Paul writes on in verse 13, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And your freedom. If you live for the flesh, you'll be consumed. You will consume each other. There's this cannibalistic language to show, hey, this is a big deal. You have freedom 
that used to love. That's what Christians do. Not because they have to, not because they ought to or they should, but because they've put their faith in Jesus and their heart has just been conformed. So that's what they end up doing. They're free to be. As Christians, we should have a lightness that comes from us resting and knowing that your works do not matter. That you are fully righteous in the sight of God and that right now, you're loved. Here's what we're gonna do is I'm gonna pray for us and McGill's gonna... uh, start us in a song, and then Jeff's going to come up and lead us in communion, and then we're going to be dismissed. Let me me pray. Father, we do thank you that you are a God that loves us and that you are changing our heart and our mind and our will to be like yours, not because we can do anything, but because you love us. I pray that you would give us just the faith and that you would convict us for when we're trying to do it on our own. I pray for the joy and the peace and the life that comes in just being free in you, free to love you. And I pray for everyone in this room as we walk out today that we would get that your burden is easy and your yoke is light and that there would be a lightness to what we do and how we live that we would not just be free but we would feel free I ask for that joy and that peace in Christ's name we pray Amen Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.